advertising heavyweight Dave Bowman leaves Google for publicists while it's a fourth CEO in as many years for WPP's Wonderman Thompson. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jasmine and joining me for the news chat today is editorial director Damien Francis. Hey, Damo. Hey, Carlton. How are you going? <laughs> I'm very good, Damo. Thanks for asking. How are you? Very well, mate. Very well. We're missing you up in Sydney. I'm sure you are. And uh, in the studio all by herself is journalist and producer Kalila Welch. Hey, K-Dog. Hey, Cal. I feel like we've swapped roles today. Yeah, well, one day we'll all be together. Um, after that news chat, we've got a slightly longer panel discussion with iPopulate's Belinda Lodge, Bullfrog's Matilda Hobber and Nicole Mandel from Target to chat about the relevance of International Women's Day as inequality continues to pervade every industry, their experiences and what could be done to create more equitable working environments. Well worth sticking around for that one. And one last bit of news from Umbrella today before we get stuck into things. Diana DiCecco is joining Umbrella as event content curator. Diana is an ex-CMO at brands including Genuine Parts Company and 8 Star Energy while also holding marketing roles at 7 West Media, Goodyear, The Good Guys, Nando's and more. Demo, we don't give you credit for much but well done getting this one over the line. A massive coup from Umbrella. Mate, I can assure you that me working here had absolutely nothing to do with Diana joining Umbrella. That I can uh, be 100% assured of, but it is absolutely fantastic to have Diana on board. Who would have thunk it? A former CMO uh, who is right up with marketing knowledge, curating a marketing conference or two or 10 or 14 or however many we're about to put on. This hopefully can only be a very, very good thing. Let's crack into it. After close to six years with the digital juggernaut, Dave Bowman has left his post as head of creative at Google Asia Pacific to head up the creative output at publicist group ANZ as chief creative officer. Bowman joins as the French company's first group-wide chief creative officer in market here, where he will work alongside CEO Mike Rebello to boost creativity and innovation across the group's 20 or so agency brands. Damo, starting with you, can you give us a brief rundown on Dave, his credentials, and what publicists are really getting here? Well, publicists are getting a creative gun. No two ways about that. Uh, now, for those who don't know, Dave Bowman, uh, once upon a time, until very recently, really, was part of the uh, famed creative duo, the, the Dave Bowman, Maddie Burton show, I, I guess we can call it. Uh, but they worked together across uh, Droga 5 in New York, Saatchi and Saatchi in New Zealand, got a lot of good runs on the board at uh, then Wyburn uh, TBWA. Uh, and made massive waves in 2014 when a, a relatively unknown uh, New Zealand uh, agency special group uh, started up in Australia and managed uh, to nab uh, the two of them from uh, Wybe and TBWA uh, to head up the creative duties at Special. Now, I think we all know how that one worked out. They were only there for three years, however, before uh, the, the big dog swooped in in Google uh, and took the both of them uh, to, at that stage, head up the, the Google Zoo uh, business. Uh, and since then, Burton and Bowman had been working at Google, doing very unheralded things, uh, essentially, because you don't really hear much coming out of Google in terms of creative uh, services. What actually happened uh, in the end there was that uh, 
Matty Burden moved over to DDB New Zealand as the group chief creative officer uh, recently, uh, which has given uh, Dave Bowman, I guess, a, a refreshed sort of view on uh, life and career. Of course, I can't speak for the man himself, but this has ended up in him joining uh, Publicis Group. So that's a big statement of intent uh, from Publicis, and it'll be really interesting to see uh, what going solo essentially uh, does uh, for Dave Bowman in this very, very high-profile new role. Well, I, I suppose that's what normally happens with creative duos, isn't it? You you eventually rise up, 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 and then uh, you eventually split off to get you know your own individual role of seniority. Um, in Are they this like case, tennis the players? Probably... It's like um, it's like the Woodies or or the Special <laughs> K or, or McNamee and McNamara. Is this like oh, this is way too much of a stretch? I think you're I think you're maybe shoehorning in a few tennis references there, Damo. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, as you say there, it's a pretty big statement of intent for Publicis. Um, the group domestically doesn't, I believe off the top of my head, have any CCOs in market. Its last one was Mike Spurkovsky, who departed Saatchi and Saatchi last year with um, Simon Bagnasco being, re- well, I guess replacing that, uh, but under the title of Head of Creativity um, Kalila, can you run us through a bit of Publicis's creative performance in recent years? What does this sort of do for Publicis now? I know obviously they had that uh, highly awarded one house campaign from Leo's last year at Cannes. Yes, yeah, so um, between Saatchi and Saatchi and Leo Burnett, um, obviously two very well-known agencies in market and, you know, over time very well-respected as well. They used to be some of the, I guess, best performing agencies in the Australian market. And, you know, you mentioned there, Leo Burnett obviously took home the Grand Prix at Cannes last year um, for their one house campaign for Suncorp, uh, which is a big win for the agency. But we have seen in the past couple of years, I guess, a a decline, um, I would say, in their output. Leo Burnett, uh, is headed up at the moment by Emma Montgomery since 2021. Sachi's um, recently has had a change in leadership as of January with Anthony Gregorio stepping down from the role to be replaced by Publicis Bespoke Lexus team leader Patrick Rowe. But uh, a few years ago we, we started to see something of, of a drop-off, I guess, in, in some of those bigger name clients that were held by both agencies in 2020, speaking earlier, Cal, you mentioned that Leo's lost bonds to Special and 7-Eleven to Chep, obviously really big clients for them formally. Um, um, and, of course, we did see Leo Burnett take out the prestigious NGV Rig Prize in 2022. Um, Damo, while we don't have any word on a replacement for uh, Dave at Google yet, obviously you mentioned Maddie leaving there as well. Have you got any context around what may be coming next there? No, look, I, I know that our editor, Olivia Criminal, has been uh, trying to contact Google to find out to what the deal was there. But realistically speaking, we know there have been some significant layoffs across big tech uh, from Google 12,000 in the US recently uh, with uh, the expectation that there will be cuts uh, in Australia as well. So uh, while I wouldn't necessarily suggest 100% that this role wouldn't be replaced, uh, you would also uh, consider that perhaps we won't see a a direct replacement coming up after the break more changes at wpp's wonderman thompson 
On Monday, Mumbrella reported that a number of senior redundancies had been made at WPP's Wonderman Thompson as CEO Matt Parry returns to the Hong Kong office after just over a year heading up the agency locally. Current National Consulting Director Gavin Bain is set to step up as the agency's new boss with his work cut out to oversee a period of transition that's so far seen the exits of East Coast Managing Director Nick Buncaster and General Manager Paulina Embert, amongst others. Four CEOs in its lifespan since WPP merged Wonderman and JWT in 2019. This merger came in a flurry of major brand mergers from the group in the late 2010s, which happened alongside VML with YNR and White Agency and Grey 2 after AKQA and Grey were merged globally. Demo, are any of these brands better off since they were consolidated, you'd say? Cal, throw the grenade in the room, close the door and walk away is essentially what you're doing there to me. So thank you very much. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think it's, uh, that's a, it's just a, it's a really broad question. Uh, and I think you've got to look at it with a lot of context. Let's take VML, YNR, uh, for instance, where if you looked at the VML brand and the YNR brand uh, with uh, two very successful CEOs at the time of merging, uh, particularly uh, on the VML side with uh, Aiden Hepburn. Um, but, uh, you know, there has been some success in, in the tie-up with, uh, with both of those agencies. Uh, if you look at it in the sense that, um, you know, John Bird came in uh, to, to lead the agency, still within the business, now Thomas Turl, is there they've held on to key talent like uh, Alison Tilling. So a, a lot of good has come out of that. Um, look, let's look at the Wonderman Thompson example. If you take John Gutteridge, who is uh, the CEO at uh, JWT, J. Walter Thompson, uh, and, and he was there for 10 years, well, you could argue that at the time of that merger, it was probably time uh, for John to, to look for something new, you know, refresh the mind, go and... Uh, to have a different challenge. He saw the merger through and, and then went and, and sought that, that new challenge. Uh, Leggett and Parry had been moved uh, or had been moved to, to different roles uh, within the business still. Um, so it seems like a bit of, uh, I guess, uh, maneuvering within the business rather than any kind of shock um, uh, decisions to, to just can people. It's a, it's a tough question. Uh, are they better off? Are they worse off uh, when you see these mergers uh, happening and when you see a lot of staff changes like this? Uh, I, I'd suggest it. there's no one answer in general, uh, but there have been examples of positives and there certainly have been examples of, of some significant negatives. And look, it's important to note, I think, you know, you mentioned the context around Matt there as well. He's moving back to Hong Kong, which is, you know, he spent the, the most of his career there. And I understand there are some personal reasons involved. But I, I guess the point that we tried to bring up here, Damo, is the, the context around some of these mergers on a global scale. When you're pushing, for example, a global brand with maybe a more uh, established local brand together. We look at the the George Pat's YNR brand here, which is now obviously still existing only through that VML YNR name. And then you've got something like the Essence Mediacom uh, merger, which we've discussed a lot here on this podcast, which includes, I guess, uh, something like an Icon Communications now buried within that. Um, we're seeing a lot of these mergers sort of strip away some of the history of these iconic Australian brands. 
Damo, do you think this could be pointed to as a reason why we are seeing the emergence of so many local uh, independent Australian agencies now? It's the circular nature of the industry, though, isn't it, Cal? I mean, you've had some good examples there. You know, Mitchell's is the other big name that uh, has sort of vanished uh, within a, a big network as well. There, there have been plenty of examples, you know, um, Match Media previously as well, um, you know, Isobar. It's, um, it's one of those things where uh, if you hang on to history too much, you're never really going to move forward. I think what we have seen, uh, particularly over the the last uh, year and a half, two years, is there has undoubtedly been an opportunity for new independent agencies uh, to establish themselves in the industry and offer uh, client service that differentiates itself significantly from what the networks can provide. But let's make no mistake. Like I said at the start, this is the, the, the circular nature of this industry. You know, Some of them will do really, really well. Some of them will gain big clients and big notoriety, and therefore they will catch the eyes of larger networks who will, at some stage, likely make big money offers and take them within the group, uh, at which stage that will have been an established local brand that will be the new, uh, whatever the old ones were, and that name will disappear, and so on and so forth. So while it is a shame that we don't have uh, some of those big name agencies that, that had a huge amount of local history with them and big characters like uh, like uh, Harold Mitchell and John Singleton, you know, new ones will emerge. The same thing will happen again. But definitely at the moment, I think we're at the beginning or uh, near the beginning of that rebirth of some big new indie agencies who will become you know famous local players. And then uh, just finally on this one, Kalila, with those departures and the appointment of Gavin Bain, what do you think this does for the agency? Can you can you give us a little bit of context around Bain? I can. Um, I think it probably wasn't an immediately obvious appointment. Um, Gavin Bain hasn't been super high profile lately in the media, but um, he was brought in to... Wonderman Thompson, when his agency Meerkats, which he founded in 2010, was acquired by the agency over in Perth. Um, and then he was made managing director for the region before being promoted, I guess, into a national role as national consulting director. It's not, I guess, a typical role that we often see as a prequel to a to a top job as CEO, but I guess it kind of makes sense, even though it might not have been immediately obvious. His his experience before um, launching Meerkats mostly was on the client side. Um, he worked for several years at Hartley's as head of marketing and worked in marketing roles at Adelaide, Adelaide Bank in the 90s and, and Bank West before that as well. But um, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, what what direction the agency goes in under his leadership. Obviously, as Damo said, they're, they're undergoing a period of transformation at the moment and they've clearly made a few shifts to their leadership structure. Um, so I guess he will have his work cut out for him. And I'm just going to jump in quickly as well, because I've realized in Cal's question, I'm, uh, I am I need to correct myself because I, I mentioned Isobar when, when I actually meant uh, Visual Jazz, which got merged into Isobar in another Conrad one of those Spiller. agencies, eating agencies, Conrad Spilver, of course. And what a great name. What a great name that was for an agency, Visual Jazz. I do... I do miss writing stories about visual jazz, I've got to admit. With Collective as well, Damo, there's been a few in the Dentsu fold that we could probably wheel out. Uh, there has. 
Coming up after the break, I populates Belinda Lodge, Bullfrogs, Matilda Hobber, and Nicole Mandel from Target. Belinda Lodge, CEO and founder at iPopulate, Matilda Hobber, Managing Director of Bullfrog, and Nicole Mandel, Head of Content and Creative at Target. Welcome to each of you and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So so we're recording uh, today, it's Tuesday, tomorrow ahead of International Women's Day. Um, The, uh, I guess the theme or the tagline for this year is Embrace Equity. Matilda, let's start with you. Do you think that we need an International Women's Day in 2023? Uh, Look, yes, I think it's good to have an International Women's Day. I think there's a lot to think about and discuss and it's nice to have a focused forum to do that. There is obviously a frustration that we needed in the first place. I mean, what happens the other 364 days? Um, We obviously don't have an International Day of Man for good reason, and I think it's important that we uh, don't use it for a public forum, for oh, that we don't use it as the one day that we discuss these things and then never implement them throughout the year. So, yes, I'm in support of it, but I, am, I, tre- I tread carefully with it. Nicole, we sort of briefly discussed beforehand this, this theme, this em- embrace equity. Um, what, what do you sort of make of that in, in terms of sort of extending the, the remit of IWD this year? I think equity on evol- in every sense is really important, but I think we need to unpick equity a little. Um, I think what a woman may need to succeed in the workplace may be different to her colleagues, um, male or otherwise. So I think equity is uh, a real positive when it comes to things like pay or um, uh, opportunity, but it may not necessarily be right as far as uh, does uh, does she have children? Does she need other things to make her work life um, successful? Does she need other things to help her support or learn or grow into a management or leadership position that is different to what a man may need? Um, I think equity needs to be unpicked a little. Um, certainly from a you know pay gap point of view, I don't know what the percentage is now, but I know in the UK it was still 30%. I don't know what it is here, which is really appalling. Um, in, in Australia's media agencies, the most recent figure I saw was 4%. That was last year. I'm not sure what it is on, on the other side. Yeah, I'd love to know how they come to that 4%. Um, I would say in reality it would be much bigger. But, you know, like what I needed versus my colleagues in an agency was incredibly different. Um, And I think all of us need to look at our own lifestyles, our own family life, our own uh, well-being and set those parameters ourselves. I don't think agencies are very good at asking you what you need to succeed. I think we need to become better at asking for it and setting those boundaries ourselves. When we talk about equality, are we now speaking about equality of opportunity for women or are we speaking about equality of outcome? And I think some of these things get quite um, convoluted. So I think often at times women are trying to have conversations about equality of opportunity and it is being read by the white males that have traditionally dominated our industry as if it is equality of outcome. 
And I think often at times we find there is a disconnect between what the women are asking for and what the men are receiving in terms of what they think we are asking for. Do you reckon that's changed, Belinda? No, not a lot. No, I don't. I don't. I think the brief of please find me a female for the agency immediately at 40% below market rate, I'm still getting that brief. Has that, has that changed at all? In yeah, absolutely it has. And I've watched it change. But bizarrely, the people that change it are often the women themselves. So yeah. the women that go in and then they have families, I will always say to a young female who's looking to work in an agency where she wants to have a family as well, make sure that there's somebody in the management team who already has a child. You don't want to be the case study. Yeah. You, you want somebody to sponsor you and advocate for you to stay in touch with the workforce while you've got a child. And I think that is that responsibility lays with women that have come before. And obviously you're speaking to three women in their 40s who've had different experiences with, you know, kind of child-rearing. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, having someone in, in, your, in your workplace that I guess is someone that you can look to for experience and also through their own experience is really important, you know, um, for a piece we wrote the weekend, which we spoke to you for Lodgy. We also spoke to um, Tara Ford at The Monkeys and she mentioned that throughout her career she's never had a female boss um, and now she's sort of uh, maybe subconsciously or indirectly made a focus to, to then uplift and hire senior creative female leaders. Um, Nicole, you have worked in the creative departments. I know this bullfrog, obviously, creative industry, but, Nicole, you, you've worked in the creative departments of some of the most esteemed agencies in, in Australia. What was um, that experience like for you, I guess, going through creative departments? Um, I think uh, looking back now, uh, it was actually much harder than even at the time I recognised. I think for the first probably 10 to 12 years of my career as a creative, I was the only female in the creative department um, and now that seems outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a boss at one point when I spoke to him about the fact that I will share an idea at the table with a group of creatives, um, being the only female at the table. And I spoke to him, I remember really clearly speaking to him after one of the meetings saying, I would say an idea and no one would hear me. And then five minutes later, someone else at the table would share the same idea and everyone clapped. Yep. Um, and I know that still happens. It's, it's certainly a cliche story. It's not unique. But the advice I got at the time, and this is a long time ago now, was perhaps it's the way you're communicating. Perhaps it's on you to change how it is you turn up. He gave me a book the next day that said how you speak in a meeting. So it was on me to change the way I behaved in that environment to be heard. Um, And so I grew up in that environment. I grew up believing I had to be louder, I had to fight harder, I had to do better, work longer hours. And then unfortunately for me, (laughs) you know, you only learn through mistakes. That became my habit, my habit to um, be to dominate a room versus um, be a listener and listening to everybody else's ideas because I was so afraid that no one would hear me. 
So then I didn't listen to anyone else. You know, I became the loudest voice in the room. And I'm really sorry to so many people I've worked with (laughs) had to tolerate that. But I became very masculine in my approach. And now, thankfully, through wisdom, through uh, so many mistakes and through finally finding these people that I enjoy working with, both male and female and, you know, every gender or non-gender, that actually you find people that hear you because they want to hear you, because they're listening, because they believe in you versus you constantly having to prove yourself as a woman. And I think that took all of a sudden um, me growing into more leadership or more senior roles before I realised actually my own behaviour was becoming um, very masculine. <laughs> and then real, then actually saying to myself really consciously, soften. Just yeah. soften. Um, stop being so hard. Um, and I think that's where it's so different now. Um, and I really, uh, I'm so grateful when I look around at different agencies and see so many female creatives in the room. Um, and they will listen to each other, embrace each other. Um, you know, it wouldn't be possible having an advertising agency anymore with one female creative. It just would be outrageous. Um, so that was really tough and it was really tough unlearning all the things I'd learnt for a long, long time and it wasn't really for me. Um, I don't think I actually got good at my job until my late 30s. Is, is there a, if, if you could go back and, I guess, change that approach that you took, what, what parts of it would you? I mean, I think part of it was a response to the necessity of the situation you were in. Absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, I'm not a wallflower, so it wasn't like I was ever sitting there going, you know. (laughs) So let's not kid ourselves. (laughs) I was never not going to speak up at certain points. But, um, yeah, definitely I think I became a product of my environment and at a certain point I then had to be an adult and actually go, oh, hang on a minute, I can't blame, I can't point fingers. I have to actually take responsibility for the fact that I have become this person that actually potentially was this product of my environment and now I had the opportunity to change that. Um, it was definitely cause and effect back then though, I think. Yes. Like there was definitely a, I use the word punishment, which is not the right word, but there's definitely consequences for behaving in a way that is not, uh, doesn't work for, for the agency and I'm fairly sure that we were at similar places back then and I remember being asked to leave the room <laughs> so the boys could finish the chats and I remember the same thing. Like they used to have, um, they used to have these terms like meeting mushrooms for people who go into the meeting and don't say anything. And there were that there was a feeling like in order to be successful, you had to say a lot. Like there was no reward for listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what you said at the start of this, which is really interesting, which is like the equity and the equality, is everybody having their own version of contributing. Yes. And yeah. everyone being able to do that in a way that is reflective of them themselves or the, what they can bring, and that was just not a thing. Yeah. It was not a thing. It was yeah. not a thing. Yeah. And that's very hard to change because that's very subtle and you get held back if you don't do it as, mm. as they ask you to do it. And does that – did that go into kind of the socialisation that comes with kind of being in advertising like and the expectation that you're out – drinking with clients, that you're entertaining. How did that all kind of play in for you guys when you were coming up? Sorry to take your job for no, a second, no. Cal. 
Oh, totally. I mean, there was always that half-day joke. You know, like if you leave the office at 5.30, everyone's like, half-day, another half-day. <laughs> it's like, well, it's not necessarily it's a half-day. There's a child at home that needs dinner. So, yeah. <laughs> but it was it was definitely, uh, a f- like, I remember going back after having a baby, you were doing everything in your power to not spend the whole day apologising. And I, yeah. th- I think you see that. I think that turns up at work in the 10 p.m. emails from female colleagues. Yeah. That have done a day's work, gone home, looked after kids, had conversations with partners. Finally get a moment. And get a moment and get back on the computer. So I would say that period between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m., you will see female colleagues emailing. Absolutely. Uh, like there's a flurry. Every morning I wake up and I'm like, okay, you can see the people that are trying to balance what's going on. Um, and I think one of the difficult things is that so often you will get advice from managers to say, write the email, but make sure it then gets sent in the morning. You know, so you set the, the send time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really hiding what's actually going on. So, do I. so I don't encourage that because I think people need to see the the staff members, the team members that are actually doing that so we can actually all provide better support. And I think that's what equity needs to mean. It needs to mean I don't get the exact same thing as you, but it means I still get the same opportunities and you support me in a way that needs that I need. That's equity. It's not everybody conforming to everybody what it's always been. to what's always been it's not um what's right for you is what's right for you Tilly how do you kind of foster that as an agency leader what's sort of your been approach and do you think I guess COVID and the sort of reset that we've had has almost provided an opportunity to reset some of those norms totally and I I think COVID was a lovely moment where uh, we were forced to wrap our work around our home lives and our family lives versus our families being forced to wrap around our jobs. And that was, as in so many ways, the practicalities of having your kids sitting on your lap, you're feeding them Weet-Bix whilst doing an agency whip. And, I mean, we had lovely moments where, you know, I had, to, I had an ECD reading a story from his house to my son while he was having breakfast in a high chair over Zoom so that I could actually go and have a shower. <laughs> like, it was really nice moments where you couldn't hide the fact that you had a home life anymore. And I, love, I loved that because um, it just brought the two things together as a concept that couldn't actually be separated and shouldn't be. Yes. And I think that's something that I'm really keen to support and continue which is that there is an acknowledgement that home and life and work are both there and they both you need to be able to succeed in both. And I think succeeding in work often used to mean that you fail at home and that is something that totally. that doesn't need to be well, that I would love not to happen anymore. So I think for me it is a little bit about that. It's everyone has a different need. I have a real uh, dislike on the mothering thing as even having to say you're a mother versus a parent is something that pisses me Mm -hmm. off. Um, I think dads should have just as much right to leave and pick up a child. I don't think you need to be a mother. I don't think that's even a term, is it? Working fathers is not a term. It's not a term. So even the word, even having to define yourself as a mother versus a parent, I think is an archaic kind of concept. But I can think quite simply, uh, 
it all comes down to everyone needing their own version of a work and a life together. Um, and you can structure a work that allows for a good life and vice versa. So I think it's a, it's a to, you, what, to your point, Nick, it's about acknowledging individual needs and making sure the agency wraps around those needs as opposed to asking life to wrap around work. And just on that, I've interviewed and placed a lot of working mums. Their requirements are fucking tiny and they are as simple as this. I need to drive to work just in case something happens at kinder or because that's going to fall on them. Mm -hmm. So I need a car park. Try getting a car park in Cremorne or like (laughs) it's really expensive, but it's absolutely essential. The idea that women are coming in asking to work four hours in the day and only go to essential meetings, like they never ask for that stuff. They ask for really pragmatic, tiny little things that give them the opportunity to be able to escape if they need to, rescue if they need to, play this role or that role. They play so many different roles and I think that means that their requirements just to turn up to work are different. But they're not, the asks aren't enormous. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever asked me to pay for a nanny for them. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever asked me if they want to work four days to pay for five. Never. The things they want are car parks. They want to do the bed bath teeth routine of an evening. Again, they're more than happy to jump back on afterwards. But the asks out of the women, the younger women, they're getting big, man. Those asks are huge. (laughs) But women out of kind of our generation, nah, mate. And for so long, everybody was told that if you had a family, you had to pretend you didn't. You know, like for so long. I remember Tilly and I were talking during... COVID and we're talking about a work thing and while we were discussing it her son was playing his own game called Make a Lake which was Make a Lake Make a Lake was comedy gold and essentially (laughs) it was just (laughs) pouring water onto Tilly's clean washing yeah while that was going on that's a good game it's a really good game it was my favorite game yeah I quite like the game myself I'll see you (laughs) making my own lake around there (laughs) But there are also moments like that that you realise that this never had to be a thing. Like, anyone can catch Make a Lake. Women without kids can catch Make a Lake. Men can catch Make... Like, everyone can catch that. It doesn't doesn't have to be these massive asks that everyone's got to get around. It's just... It's a lot more, I think, practical and pragmatic than that. Well, Lodgie, I mean, I was going to ask you, you sort of answered it in in a roundabout way there, but you probably have... The, a better under look under the hood of most agencies than I think probably most in this industry would. Um, how, how have you sort of approached that over the years in terms of, you know, going to certain agencies for people that you sort of feel in a sense kind of personally invested in as well? Because, you know, you place them in an agency, they're going to be there for better or for worse for a certain amount of time and they'll either come away thinking, God, that was brilliant, which I guess goes to your reputation or the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty lucky and my experience is quite unique in that when I started my company, I was sponsored by two really high-profile men in advertising and they introduced me, they gave me their reputations and they backed me. So that's a very different experience, I think, to other women that have come into advertising and I was extremely lucky that that happened. Um As I became a bit more successful at the beginning of starting any company, just trying to get the rent paid, it wasn't a mortgage, it was rent, um, and just trying to kind of prove that you can do it by yourself. Um, 
as I became a bit more successful, I was then able to pick my clients. And I think the one legacy I want to leave the industry with is if you are assholes to women, we all fucking know about it and we all talk and we will starve you on the street of a talent pipeline. And this has been going on forever. And all the women in senior roles, they absolutely know this. And all the men in senior roles absolutely don't. So if there is an agency, and I can name many over the course of my career, that have behaved in a way that is against equality, I'll starve them. And I'm okay with that. Do you think any of them have ever, I guess, come to realise that you know, that was because of a certain... Oh, way. yes. And have they? Have you ever seen a noticeable, I guess, reaction and change in behaviour from that? So I went to a meeting once um, with one of these agencies that I refused to work with and they there were three men sitting there and one of them said, so what's your problem with this agency? And I said, I'd just like to know where all the female women are. And this is flat stick, the response I got. I still can't believe it. I still can't believe this uh, gentleman said it. He said... Uh, Belinda, is it? Uh, What you need to understand, always a good start, Mm -hmm. is um, that the men that work here earn a lot of money and their wives don't have to work, to which I went, just stop, enough. Like, there are so many reasons why women go to work. The commercial imperative is one, but there are 50 other, 100 other. There are as many reasons for women going to work as there are kind of women. And I just stood up and I was like, okay, well... Guess when not working together the next like eighteen months, and off I taught. Um, it's changing now in that the diversity conversation is being forced upon them, and they're wanting to know more than ever and asking questions. How do we attract really strong females into our creative department? Mm-hmm. How do we get more diversity in our management team? Those those questions are are coming um, a lot. Uh, a lot more often, um, but it's almost a, a grudge hire. Like it doesn't, it's not an excitement, yeah? It's not, this is what I want to see in their book and I want them to have travelled and had all these laughing. It's not that. It's yeah. we've got a quota, we need to get that fixed. You're a female headhunter, let's go. And I think the challenge after that, after the hopefully not grudge hire but potentially... Is the investment. Correct. Because I think equity in belief is actually the cultural shift that needs to happen. It's, I think that so many, what I what I worry about is that so many young creatives are coming through because this needs to be diversity of every kind, not yep. just for women. So many young creatives are coming through and the fight is so there that they've got the spirit to just not accept what, Unfortunately, we we did tolerate on so many occasions. But I worry that the focus is so heavily on um, changing the system that the craft also then gets lost. Interesting. And I think, um, you know, I spoke to the head of a very well-known agency once and asked him where all the female creatives were. And his response was, when there are good female creatives, I'll hire them. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Well... (laughs) You can imagine my response. And I think so much of the challenge is you will get good creatives of any sort when you believe in them and you invest in them. You have to train them. Creativity is innate. 
And creativity is a gift that you naturally may or may not have, but it is also learned. And being a good creative is actually learning from really good people. And being successful in a leadership role in an agency is not just about talent. It is about the gift of working with clients, the gift of understanding a strategy, the gift of um, working with people in accounts management that actually save your ass time and time again. You know, like it's not, you're not on your own. You're not some cowboy just going, yeah, I'm so fucking good at my job with all these ideas. Like you're an idiot without Mm -hmm. a great team. Yeah. You're just a script without the right people to help you sell it in. So I think it is, my fear is we lose, lose the importance of craft and time and investment and belief when we focus so much on the fight. So I guess we can sort of return to the opening question, which was do we sort of need this International Women's Day now? Tilly, what, how, I, I, you know, we, we discussed off-air um, a lot of these sort of, um, I guess, initiatives and, and things like that and all the publicity that we do get around this time every year. How do you extend that action and that, that conversation or continue to extend it beyond just, you know, the lead up to that one day oh, of the year? For sure. Look, I, I think any any person who takes this seriously, which I do believe there are a lot now, men and women, I think once you get into it, you realise there is a lot to be and I think it requires a lot of people to do a lot, a lot of the time in order to move the needle. And it, it, it's, a, it's a genuine fight. Like you have to have yeah. your absolute fibre, every fibre of your being into it in order to move the needle because it's deep and it's systemic and it's subtle yep. and it requires daily work in order to do it. So I think for me the conversations are really useful because there is so much to be done and, and everybody needs to be in on it. So... My, my personal, um, m- the place where I put my efforts are trying to find the place, the flag, looking at identifying the places or the reasons why we don't have a diverse group of people, and I'm t- using diversity as well as equitable people to choose from in the first place. So, yep. I, you know, you, I look at all of the kids coming through from RMIT and those kids are people who have had parents who believe creativity is a worthwhile endeavour. They have had people um, support them. They've probably gone to schools which feed into these. So so there's a whole bunch of people who don't even have that. Mm -hmm. So those people need to be looked at and and brought in. Um, Then, of course, there's, there's keeping people in the industry and looking at why people drop out. And obviously women drop out in really, really clear periods in their careers and that requires work. Um, and so f- for me personally, that's where I put my headspace because that is interesting for me and I feel like that creates change that we will see way beyond <laughs> my, my career in advertising. But um, that requires work every day. Yep. So I love International Women's Day for that reason because it's a reminder of how much work to be done but it's you know it's one day in many that that yeah. requires the work Lodgy, nick any any final thoughts on that before we tie this up i think if any 
of the men are looking for something to do to kind of support us. I found being sponsored and being invited into rooms a really profound way that I could have a company and that I could have a voice. And it's it's not that hard. Like I remember I walked into Ogilvy the day I started my company. Andrew Baxter handed me a brief and his exact words were, and Lodge, you tell everybody you work for Ogilvy. And that is how I got a start. I just got to tell the street that I worked for Ogilvy and that had some potency. And I just, I go back and wonder if he didn't do that, what what would it have looked like if I, if I didn't have a tier one agency to go, I got these guys under my belt. So if there's any way that that any of the men are looking for something kind of really practical to do, it is to sponsor people into the rooms that they're, to sponsor women into rooms that historically they haven't been allowed in. It's to invite them to the lunches and know that they can hold their own. It is to invite them into spaces that typically have been male spaces and to support them and sponsor them in. I, yeah, I just think it's, that is the one thing that's had a really profound impact on my career. And I would hope that more of it happens. I don't hear of it very often and my case seems to be quite unique. Um, I think I would say um, a huge thanks to the women of our generation that have actually battled like bastards to get here (laughs) and stay here um, and keep going. I, I have enormous respect for the women of our generation. Equally, I have enormous respect for a new generation of women that are coming through the ranks in every area of an agency that have extraordinary confidence and belief in themselves. I think um, I would say be open. Um, I just, I hope we get to a point where we're not um, the tick box higher that we are genuinely seen, um, you know, and the equity in belief becomes, um, yeah, really prominent. Well, it's been fantastic to have each of you join me here today. Um, thanks again. And, yeah, we'll see you soon. Cal, it's an important <laughs> conversation. Thanks for inviting us yeah, in. Thank, thank you. Cheers. Cheers. That is all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Please make sure to subscribe if you like what you're hearing. And if you want a more condensed daily version, head across to the Evening Mumbo, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Music. Thanks again to Belinda, Matilda and Nicole for joining us. Kalila, Damo, thanks to you too. Thanks, Thanks, Mike. See you next week. (laughs) 